we become like what we behold. And as we look at Christ and His glory, as we fix the gaze of our soul on the gospel and God's love for us, that's how we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. But the same thing happens to entire churches when Christ is the focus, when He's the centerpiece. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gary Wilson Podcast. Glad you're here with us. We're going to have a special event today. Our dear friend, Pastor Jordan Thomas from Grace Church in Memphis, Tennessee, is with us. We were just talking off camera a minute ago about his uh, uh, thrilling events with two of his uh, six kids, two boys that are uh, one in one of the national championships for homeschooling uh, basketball league. Congratulations, Pastor Jordan, and welcome, by the way. Thank you so much. Yep, that was a joy to watch. Glad to be back on the podcast. Thanks for having me, brother. Yeah, uh, yeah. When I was in, um, just a little bit about basketball. You are, are you a basketball player as well? I am. You know, I'm not even a weekend warrior anymore, so I don't know if I can claim to be a basketball player. I once was, and uh, I try to relive the glory days until about five years ago, and then I had to hang it up. Yeah, yeah. It gets. It gets how tall are you? Six three. Six three. Okay. Yeah, that's that's in the range of being able to. You can slam dunk, right? Oh, yeah. I tell everybody that there's a statue of me outside my high school basketball <laughs> gym. But, uh, I don't know if it's legend or reality. You'll have to go do some more research. <laughs> well, okay. Well, congratulations on that and your sons. And uh, but and thanks again for joining us. We're looking forward to talking about a project you've been working on about treasuring Christ. Last time you were with us, we had the, the joy of talking about the book of Hebrews. And um, ever since then, we, uh, me and my friend Joshua West here at World Challenge have been uh, working on a book uh, about Hebrews. And we know that We've talked to you, too, about, and maybe after we're off air later, I'd like to talk to you a little longer and see if we can talk on that. But uh, Hebrews has been dear to our heart, and, and now now you've been really plugging in there about uh, treasuring Christ. Sounds like a good, a good study. How did that begin? Well, two things conspired in my world. One is uh, I pastor a church that's part of a small network of churches called Treasuring Christ Together. That's the name of the network of churches. I'm one of the lead team members. And they were asking me to consider putting together maybe a little kind of a core description of a Christ treasuring church in the biblical sense. What does that mean? What does that look like? Simultaneously, some good friends at Media Gratier uh, contacted me about the concept of a mini study, a seven to eight week study on really any theme of my choosing, so long as it fit within the scope of what they were hoping to do. And uh, those two worlds collided. So I actually did a mini study with Media Gratier on uh, the title now is Christ Our Treasure, and the subtitle is pretty Puritan-esque. Uh, I don't know if they'll let me squeeze it all in, but I think it's going to be enjoying the preeminence of Jesus with his blood-bought bride or in the local church. We'll see how much they could fit on a spine. But it's it's the concept of treasuring Christ, not just individually, but congregationally. Wow. Well, you're, you're, you're kind of going all Jonathan Edwards on your subtitle there that, uh, have you ever read it? Have you ever seen some of his subtitles? Brother, right? It's like the introduction of his book is this, uh, is a subtitle that no, but it's, I tell you, every word has some meaning in that. So I think you, I think you're right. I hope they let you have, have all, all of that on there. Hey, just before we talk a little bit more about that, I, I want to dig into that, but, uh, just you and your church, uh, you're, you're one of the eldering pastors you have a is it a uh, you guys set up like a team of pastors is that how you function that's correct we have three staff elders and four lay elders currently there's some way of the pattern how that 
tends to revolve and the Lord adds more and some take a break for a while. But right now we have seven elders, three are staff elders, four are lay elders. And yeah, we share uh, all of the ministry. I do the primary load of the preaching on Sunday, but I don't do all of that. I preach about 60, uh, 60-ish percent of the time. And I'm often present with our congregation with no responsibility other than to worship the Lord as one of the flock on many Sundays throughout the year. So my soul is benefited. I'm fed, I'm nourished. Um, but it's really been a joy to serve with those brothers. And yeah, we each try to share the load of various ministry responsibilities. Do you, does your congregation interchange name? Like would they, would they, uh, not to put labels on people, but would they call you elders or would you be considered like pastor Jordan to, to the team, to the, to, to the church? When they're happy with me, they use those terms. When they're not, they might use more derogatory. But yeah, pa- Pastor Jordan, uh, they talk about, uh, you know, we have an elders meeting or uh, thank you to the elders. So pastors, elders uh, is the more familiar terminology. But no, they're very sweet people. They don't call me too many derogatory things to my face. But typically it's Pastor Jordan yeah. is how they refer to me. Okay, that makes make sense. And you've been in, uh, you've been there since the inception of the church? That's right. Yeah. Almost 17 years. August of this year will be 17 years since the first kind of interest meeting Bible study we did. We did those for the fall of 2006. And then February of 2007, we covenanted together as a congregation with 18 people uh, in inner city, urban context of Memphis. And yes, I've had the joy of being part of that journey from the beginning. Good, good. And um, I noticed on your website, you guys have um, moved to a couple different locations, but either you are what to call uptown Memphis or you are going to be again. Thank you so much for even bringing that up. If I could just solicit prayer from whomever may listen to this and from you guys. Yes, for 17 years, we've been in Uptown. And if you could just imagine uh, kind of the commercial district of any city, the high rise buildings and all that, we're just two blocks north of that. So that's downtown and our little niche, I guess they have rebranded as Uptown. And historically, it's a broken inner city community. That's where we've been for 17 years. Long story uh, short, we were uh, we had to vacate the community center where we met. And we're now meeting about 20 minutes east of the downtown core on Sunday afternoon. And in God's providence, we were able to buy a little piece of property in that uptown core uh, during COVID. And we're just praying that the Lord will provide for us to be able to develop it uh, in his time to have a place to worship in the uptown community. That's where the majority of our members live. I'm sitting in our church office, which is one block away from that community. Uh, I'm sorry, one block away from that property. And many of our members live right here uh, in this beautifully broken community. So by broken, um, you know, there's two types of downtown or uptown, as you call them. One one is you know, sort of like the Times Square in Manhattan. That's, uh, you know, all the where all the money and wealth is. Other downtowns are like Detroit, um, where a lot, of, a lot of drugs and homeless. Is that which would yours, uh, how would you describe where you are? Definitely much more Detroit by those two categories. So, uh, yeah, the lieutenant of the North Precinct told me that the six major hotspots for drug trafficking in North Memphis are right in our community. Um, There's a lot of gang activity and poverty and just kind of cyclical patterns of brokenness from one generation to another. And, you know, I'm a minority by 90 percent in the community we live in. And there's all kind of joys and all kind of challenges to the place the Lord's called us. But. Yeah, I don't know if I told you last time we uh, you, you were on the podcast, but uh, 
my wife and I, when we were young, our first pastorate, we planted a church in the inner city of Detroit. And it was, we, we, lived, in a, we lived in a neighborhood that was, I'd say, 99.9% African-American. We were, we were the only white family that I knew within anywhere around there. And it was both very, not because it was African-American, but just because of the conditions of Detroit at the time it was a very... Tr- 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 it was a troubled uh, season, and but man, what great joy to see community built and Christ exalted! It was a, it was a blast. And then uh, after that, we didn't stay as long as I maybe would have hoped to. But uh, my father started a church in New York City called Times Square Church, and he asked us to leave Detroit and come help him pastor there. So went from the inner city of Detroit to right downtown Manhattan, and uh, yeah. So I, I know a little bit of what you're experiencing and what maybe what your family is. Is, is going through. As a matter of fact, the new pastor of uh, Times Square Church, an old friend of mine, Tim Delina, he, he was our youth pastor in Detroit. And this is like 30-something okay. years ago. And he stayed for 30 years and pastored there. Um, had, his kids were born there, um, graduated high school there, uh, you know, right right in the heart of the Detroit. And, uh, you know, great joy, and, but great, uh, some great troubles and difficulties too, pastoring in that context when you got people you're trying to not just um you know not just help them see the gospel but then contending with some of the sanctification issues of addictions and things like that so all our listeners be praying be praying for pastor jordan his team of elders and the church the property they have there and uh, check check out their website uh, they'll give you something to kind of sink your teeth into listen to sermons and you can be praying for them uh, knowing a little bit more about their Ministry as well. Tell me uh, your your the website address. Is it Grace? GraceChurchMemphis.com. Okay, simple enough. All right, so let's get back into the main topic here today: uh, treasuring Christ. Uh, it sounds like I won't try to remember your subtitle, uh, but <laughs> but I, I think preeminence was in there. Was, or... Yep, yep. Got got to stick preeminence in there if you're talking about treasuring Christ. Yeah. Uh, so tell us, tell us, uh, give us the introductory statement about it, and then we'll dig deeper into some of the aspects of it. Last time I had the joy of being with you, we were talking a lot about the book of Hebrews, and there's a famous phrase in a familiar verse of Hebrews that says, fixing our eyes on Jesus or looking unto Jesus. That's chapter 12. And as a result of really my journey through Hebrews and seeing some related passages in the New Testament, I began to realize something that should have dawned on me long before I'm a very slow learner. And that is all the pronouns in that passage are plural, fixing your eyes as a congregation on Jesus. And then there's so many passages like that, that explicitly talk about this congregational aspect of looking to Christ together. And so last time, just in summary, we were talking about, um, we become like what we behold. And as we look at Christ and his glory, as we fix the gaze of our soul on the gospel and God's love for us, that's how we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. But the same thing happens to entire churches when Christ is the focus, when he's the centerpiece, or to use that that big Bible word you brought out a minute ago, when he is preeminent in a local congregation, the gravitational pull of being conformed to his image by gazing on his glory happens to a whole people. So I began to realize that there's a lot of verses that explicitly talk about that, or they, they're plural in the original. 
when it talks about looking to Jesus or fixing your eyes on Jesus. But then I just started to see, wait a minute, kind of Captain Obvious, 13 of the letters of the New Testament are not written to individual Christians. They're written to whole churches. And by inference, I take that to mean at least all of the blessing that's found in Christ in those books of the Bible, not not exclusively those, it would apply to others, but at least in those, all of the blessings that are bound up in Christ in those books are available to me insofar as I'm connected to a church like the ones those were written to. And so I need the congregation to actually obey the command to fix my eyes on Jesus. And we can do that individually. I don't mean to dismiss or minimize that, but I do think we'll be stunted in our ability to actually behold and be conformed to his image if we just go at it alone. We need the body of Christ. And uh, that's what I've been really drinking deep on over the last year, especially as I've been putting together this little project on that theme. And I've benefited greatly. Yeah. You probably, you're probably finding, this is just a guess, but you're probably finding it sort of rubs contrary to the American culture, the American psyche of um, the, the rugged individualist um, that, you know, and that, um, and even when it comes to church life, I'll, I'll pick a church that, that I, I like the style and like the music and I, I, I like light yeah. show. I like lights flashing or not, you know, and not really necessarily looking to build our lives together under this banner of what you're talking about, a treasuring Christ together and his preeminence. So did, did have you found it? Um, I mean, you've been with your congregation long enough, probably you, you eased into it maybe more than some might, but I don't know if you understand my question. Do you find that maybe does rub against the cultural norms? Oh, very much so. I mean, even in me personally, I can say the old man dies hard. You know, I have to crucify the flesh every day. I was, and, I was hoping we would talk about, uh, I was hoping we'd talk about others, not ourselves. That's, uh, that's getting too personal yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, death to self and trying to crucify the flesh. I mean, it's easy for me to be myopic. And I find myself getting... Um, interested in Jesus insofar as he'll make everything about me. But the beauty of the gospel is God in Christ loves us enough to set us free from our myopic self-centeredness so that we can join God in the happiest of all joys, this glorious God-centeredness. Salvation is an invitation to join God in enjoying God in Christ forever. And in local churches, one of the things about the individualistic real heavy accent mark in our generation that has crept in to the so-called Christian, you know, culture, that individualism really does stand contrary to the beautiful promises of the gospel. So just for example, one kind of big picture example, eternity future. You see this picture in Revelation of this host of worshipers, a myriad of angels, so vast you can't count them. It's just myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands. And you're just seeing this vast sea. But one thing you don't see is any of their faces. Not to suggest they're not significant, but there is one face that everybody sees. There is one person that everybody knows. And just that alone shows there's more joy in taking our eyes off of ourselves 
and fixing our eyes on Christ. And even in that example, to do so together rather than just by myself, it actually amplifies our joy to be catapulted on the joys of others as we together behold Christ. So individualism, I would just say Paris Reedhead, uh, a brother now in glory in an old sermon called 10 shekels in a shirt you can find online. He said the deification of, yeah, the deification of man was born in hell and the glorification of God was born in heaven. And that's really what looking to Jesus with the congregation is. It's, it's actually saying good news. It's not about you. And, and that's actually the happy place, you know, when we focus on Christ together. So, yes, anathema to individualistic concepts of Christianity. Mm-hmm. When you when you talk about doing this thing together, looking unto Jesus, it's, my mind goes to uh, Hebrews 2, where, where it says uh, he's not ashamed to call them brothers, uh, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Well, you know, it's this really glorious picture of the church, not just me and you and a group of friends in there singing and hearing the word proclaimed, but Christ actually in our, in our midst with us, like the face you're talking about in Revelation. But the, but the face is not just present. He's actually uh, telling of God's, the Father's name to us. He's So I, I kind of see that as him preaching like he, like maybe through you or through me, he's he's actually proclaiming through us, and then then and then also it says he sings, which is kind of a cool picture of Jesus in our congregation with us. What are some of the um, what are some of the differences at looking into Jesus for yourself and looking at looking unto Jesus as a community? And secondly, what are some of the outcomes then? Uh, uh, if we if we do move in this direction, what joys do we have that we might not have otherwise? Uh, but the first question is, yeah, what what are some of the things we do? Well, you just touched a nerve in me, so you're going to have to stop me because, like I said, I've just continued to see an avalanche of passages that accentuate God's happy invitation to us to join Him with His people in looking at Christ. So uh, at any point, please stop me. No, go for it. That's why you're here. Okay, brother. I'm about to explode. (laughs) Here I come. come. (laughs) So here's an example. Maybe I'll just go kind of passage by passage. Yes, please. You can reflect with me on, on any of these. So here's an example. I said, so many of the letters of the new Testament were written, not to individual Christians, but to local churches, right? Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, Philippians, those are churches. All right. An example from Ephesians. In Paul's prayer in chapter one, after he laid out the glory of God in saving sinners through the gospel. Chapter one, the father planned, the son accomplished, the spirit applied. This incredible salvation that's wrought in Christ. Okay, right after he lays that out, he prays for the church. And he said in chapter one, um, I think it's verse 18. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or opened. Well, the your is plural and the heart is singular. But he's writing to a church. I pray that the eyes of y'all's singular heart. So I take that to mean every congregation, like the church at Ephesus, has one heart Mm. and together 
if we fix our eyes, if they're opened, the eyes of that one heart are opened to see Christ. And then, I mean, he, he lays out three ways he wants them to see Christ. It's a prayer. It's not teaching that they would know the hope of your calling, the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the, in the saints, and the surpassing greatness of your power toward all who believe. And then he says that all three of those are in accord with three massive exertions of God's power, like the power God used to raise Jesus from the dead, the power God used to seat him in the heavenlies, and the power God used to subject everything to his feet because he's the Lord of the universe. And then it closes with that familiar phrase that I honestly hadn't thought about. It was it had kind of become white noise to me. I could say it, but I never really thought about it. It says, God gave Christ as head of the body of the church, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's the phrase, all in all. And I just started thinking, okay, not some in all, and not all in some. So it's not some of Christ in all of the church or all of Christ in some of the church, but all of Christ in all of the church. And if you just back up, that's what he's praying. The eyes of the one heart of the whole church would see. And so it's so Christ-centered. It's so Christ-treasuring. And I want that. And I want to be among a people who want him. Not a that, a, a who. I want him and I want my own ability to see him and to receive from him to be as amplified as possible. And I believe God's plan for that is ordinary local churches that make much of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that's one place. And brother, like I said, you touched a nerve. So uh, you're going to have to put on the brakes because I'm thinking of a lot of other places right now. If you don't mind, go with it. Go two, three others. Um, that's certainly, okay. I mean, you started in a good place that stirred my heart. I'm already like all in all. You know, it's like, I guess I would, <laughs> I guess I would read that. Sadly, you know, like you talked about our flesh earlier, I'd probably read that all that he has for all of me. You know, that, that's, that's how I might read yeah. it the wrong way, but it's not saying that, is it? It's, it's all for all of us uh, together. And you can't, yes. you can't do that unless you're together. Yes. Yes. So, Okay, uh, you, you're, you're provoking me, so I'm going to keep going. Here we go. Um, I'll just stick with Ephesians. I think, I think the single most comprehensive one-verse statement of Paul's purpose for ministry is in the book of Ephesians. Um, that's a lot, so I'm going to say it again. He says a lot about his purpose for ministry a lot of places. All right? If you could find one verse that was the most comprehensive one verse statement, where would it be? I, I would argue it's Ephesians 4.13. In that verse, Paul said, this is the aim. I'm just going to look it up and read it as we talk. So here we go. Ephesians 4.13, if my gadget will cooperate. Uh, it won't cooperate, so I'm going to do my best to quote it. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now that is a gigantic compilation of glorious words. That's right. Right. So until we all, who's he thinking of? The church at Ephesus attain to the unity of the faith. What kind of unity? Verses one to seven, the one faith unity. 
that we're to diligently preserve the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's overall in all, this unity in this one triune God who's given us salvation in Christ. How much grace do we have? Verse six or seven, we have grace in accord with the measure of Christ's gift. We have as much grace as Jesus is full of. And John said he's full of grace. So that's what we have. That's our unity. So until we all attain to that kind of unity, unity of the faith and the knowing of the Son of God, verse 13, the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature or complete, it's the Greek word teleos for full, lacking nothing, a complete man. And now here it comes. Now think about this, Gary. Now, I want this for you and you want this for me. Let's just sanctify imagination. Let's imagine that just for a second, that we not we won't have it on this side of eternity. Let's imagine we have it right now. The measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Wow. Paul said he wanted yeah. everybody to have that in <laughs> the church at Ephesus. Yeah. So, brother, I believe that God believes that that is available to us in Christ. And I believe that God believes that is not available to us apart from deep connectedness to a Christ treasuring congregation. And Paul wanted the church at Ephesus to be that. So there's just two from Ephesians. And again, you you poke the bear brother. So uh, you'll have to jump in and meditate with me or I'll just keep going. No, I'd love love for you to keep going. I think it's, um, it's feeding me. It's it's challenging me, encouraging me. And I'm sure it's doing that for others as well. It's, um, It's. I would say it's. It's maybe more rare what you're saying than it should be, uh, because again, we're going back to the individual way we look at scripture or Christian life or a sermon that you hear at your church. Like, uh, you know, that one really didn't apply to me this week. I was, I was bored. You know, uh, but to see these things through the lens of we're doing it together, uh, and in, and you're bringing it in a positive light too. Uh, oftentimes, I think we have the tendency to think of all in the negative sense, like, yeah, they, you all needed to hear that. You know, you, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you, that, that rebuke was for you, wasn't it? You know, and so we take the negative and point our finger at our brothers and sisters, but, you know, maybe not so inclined, like, like you're challenging and encouraging us to do today, you know, to, to, to open arms to the brothers and sisters and say, come, you know, come into this, the fullness of Christ. And by the way, you quoted it perfectly. I was reading along with you in, okay. in Ephesians, so you didn't Praise miss. You didn't even miss a the or a of or anything. You did did well. Um, I would love for you to go one more, and then uh, then we'll okay. uh, we'll take a quick break and have you come back on our next episode. But uh, yeah, you got one yeah, more thought. Sound, sounds good. Yes, there's there's just so many of these in the New Testament. I think there are Old Testament allusions to this New Testament reality. So. Yes, I can go one more. Uh, let me try to constrain myself <laughs> to one that to one that has helped me personally want to pursue and embrace the brothers and sisters in my congregation for my own joy and for their edification. All right, so it's uh, it's Second Corinthians. I'm going to tie two passages together in Second Corinthians. The verse is in 11, chapter 11, but in chapters three and four, there's this great expose of Christ as 
the glorious revelation of all of Scripture. Moses had a veil. The veil is still over everybody's mind that reads Moses until they turn to Christ, 2 Corinthians 3.18, then the veil is taken away. And what do we see? Verse 18, we see glory. Where do we see glory? In Christ. How do we know it's Christ that we see glory when the veil's removed? In God's word, how do we know it's Christ's glory that we see? Well, you just keep reading. There were no chapter divisions when Paul originally wrote the letter. So the very next chapter, chapter four says, in verse four and six, the glory of God is revealed in the face of Christ. Or God has made known to us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Chapter four, verses four and six. Okay, so there's Christ and his glory revealed in the word to verse 16 of chapter three, to those who believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm. All right, now fast forward. Here's the verse, chapter 11. Paul says that he was afraid. And I'm thinking, all right, what's going to make the great eminent apostle have fear? You know, he burst into cities and villages preaching Christ at great cost. And he had been beaten and shipwrecked and all Mm -hmm. these things, stoned. And he said, I'm afraid that like the serpent deceived Eve, your mind, but it's plural, Y'all's mind will be led away from simple, pure devotion to Christ. So if you put that positively, what did Paul want for the church at Corinth? By the way, he had been their pastor for 18 months. Go read Acts 18. You can see that. He knew them. He loved them. He had preached Christ to them. He knew they were full of challenges and problems and infighting and divisions and all kind of drama going on, spiritual gift, you know, popularity contest, just silliness and confusion and the enemy's attack. And Paul said in chapter four, Satan wants to do one thing. He didn't care how much Bible, you know, provided you don't do one thing. He wants to blind the minds of unbelievers so that they might not see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So in chapter 11, he said, I'm afraid for you, church, that your plural minds uh, your your mind, singular, will be led away from simple, pure devotion to Jesus. And so if you put that positively, Gary, it's our churches should have a very obvious, a very clear, pure and simple devotion to Christ. Yeah. That should just be the normal temper and ethos and culture and content of our congregation. And Paul knew that's actually the pathway to our joy. That's what will satisfy. So if you find a congregation that'll be all about you, I can make a, a a bold and very easy prediction. The more you get of yourself, the more miserable you'll become, Hmm. the more unsatisfied you'll be. But if you want deep lasting joy, I'm not talking about trivial, surfacey, giddy, ignore problems of life, superficiality. I'm talking about abiding joy, deep satisfaction. Do the McShane exercise. For every one look you take at yourself, take 10 looks to Christ. But if you do that with a church, it'll actually help you to have simple, pure devotion to Jesus, 2 Corinthians 11. So I'll stop there, brother, uh, and I trust that you have some rich meditations that you could add as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jordan, thank you. That uh, all three of those 
passages you took us to are, are challenging in my mind's uh, you know, you, you started by talking about looking unto Jesus, Hebrews 12, you know, and I just, I would just glance down at uh, something I preached recently, you know, how uh, verse 12 with the drooping hands and the weak knees, um, you know, that you may not be put out of joint and strive for peace with everyone. You know, so again, looking at those things through more of an individualistic lens, it's like, okay, I, I my effort is to strive for peace with, you know, Billy and Mar Martha and, uh, you know, it's like my individual, rather than seeing the whole community, like, as I hear you talk about this, it's already kind of washing my mind in a good way, like away from some of this Amen. American individualism and, you know, strive for peace with everyone, strive for holiness. I guess that would say, that would probably fit under the category of with everyone, because it's just a comma, not a period. And so you're, you're you Absolutely. know, who, 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 I have not thought a lot until today, sadly to say, about striving for holiness with everyone, you know, rather than just more myself. So, yeah, thanks for saying the stuff you're saying. It's it's uh, it's piercing my heart in some really powerful ways. And I, and um, yeah, for those of you listening, uh, you know, Jordan was with us last year, so uh, check out that about Hebrews and this episode as well. Uh, one more coming to you next time around. So, uh, Jordan, thanks for being here with us today. And we'll take a quick break and have you come right back and we'll, we'll dig in. I got about five more questions at least. So hopefully we can fit that one in the next half Amen. hour we have together. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, brother. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in the mission of World Challenge. Thank you for listening and supporting. World Challenge transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Visit us online at worldchallenge.org.